Hear God's word from uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. In God's word in Isaiah 52, 7 through 10, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. It's stunning when you think about those words that were just read from Isaiah's prophecy, that they were written and shared with God's people in the darkest of days. This was not a description of what had happened. This was a description of what God would do. And God's people, their first response was probably to find it simply unbelievable. Unbelievable. Good news. Good news. The temple has been destroyed. There's been a war. I've lost everything. I've lost family members. I've been deported across hundreds of miles of desert to a foreign land where I do not enjoy freedom. I'm homeless. That's what exile means. And there are these words that come. Good news. Rejoice and be glad. All the earth. During this Advent, we have been exploring how God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, expanded the imagination of God's people to even be able to envision what God is currently working on and how God will bring them salvation as promised. Images. We talked about the, the branch that grows out of a dead stump. We talked about that image of light illumining the darkness. 
We talked about a vision of the world where, where there was peace. Peace that is so unpredictable and unbelievable that it's like wolves and sheep sitting down together in a field and no one getting hurt or eaten. And yet on Christmas Day, we hear this word from the prophet and we rejoice because we know that it happened. This promise was fulfilled in Jesus and in everything about Jesus from that moment on and that story is continuing into eternity. Jesus is born. Jesus is here. God spoke through the prophets like Isaiah and now God speaks through God's very own son, the Messiah. Now that the son is born, this is how God speaks. When Jesus speaks, it's God speaking to the world. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament was written to help people understand how Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. The child born in Bethlehem, yes, but also the grown-up Jesus, the one who called disciples to follow him and who taught and who healed and who fed, and also the one who suffered as was prophesied, the one who went to the cross and then rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven where Jesus, as the great high priest, continues to pray for us full time, intercede for us, to care through the Holy Spirit about what we are going through on this earth. That's what Jesus is busy doing right now. But here's how the book of Hebrews starts off, because it's very much a Christmas message. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Whatever Jesus says, God's saying, that's me saying that. And through whom also he made the universe. This is Christ, the eternal Son of God, begotten of the Father before the world was made. God entered human life when Jesus, God's Son, was born. We call this the incarnation, the Word made flesh, incarnate. It's one of those things where learning a little bit of Spanish helps us understand the Bible. Carne, meat, flesh, incarnation, the word God made flesh. As a human being, Jesus had eyes. I guess we could have chosen any body part to talk about. We've already talked about feet today, and that's in our text. But also in our text from Isaiah is the function of eyesight. And so it's important to recognize that Jesus, God's son, had eyes. God saw the world and human life through Jesus' eyes. I want you to close your eyes, if you will, and I want you to imagine being Jesus the infant Jesus, 
sleeping, maybe for an ever so short time, and then laying in the manger and opening your eyes and seeing the face of Mary and the face of Joseph. Imagine that. Imagine opening your eyes and seeing what Jesus saw. Now, of course, it's in our imagination. We don't know exactly what Mary looked like or Joseph looked like. But we might have an idea of of what it looks like to see a beloved, loving face. That is what God saw through Jesus' eyes. Now imagine what else Jesus, what God saw through Jesus' eyes. God saw through Jesus' eyes when Herod's soldiers were dispatched to Bethlehem to kill every child under two years old so that they would absolutely kill Jesus. And on that hurried flight to Egypt, Joseph, being warned in a dream by an angel, refugees now on the run, going to Egypt of all places to be safe. God saw the plight of a refugee family through Jesus' eyes. And the entire gospel is filled with moments where we can recognize that God sees the world and human life through the eyes of Jesus. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how well Jesus' eyes worked. He lived to the age of 33. In that era, was it old enough to need reading glasses? Presbyopia. Well, however well Jesus' eyes worked, here's one thing we do know about Jesus and eyes. We do know that he had a heart for helping people whose eyes didn't work very well. Think about all the different stories, multiple stories in the Gospels, where Jesus helps people regain their sight. Think about the people in our world who help people regain their sight. One of his favorite miracles, restoring sight to the blind. Well, not only did Jesus see, but he was seen. The sun was seen on the earth. Hebrews 1.3, the sun who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. People saw Jesus with their own eyes, and they remembered what they saw. Do you have memories that are just burned in your memory that that you, like when you think of those, it's like just watching a a perfect videotape that shows my generation. I just called it a tape. (laughs) Think of what was just, just recorded, imprinted in people's brains what they saw Jesus doing on the earth. His miracles, how he healed people, how he fed the hungry, how he cared for children, how he told stories of God's kingdom that puzzled the crowds. You see, the gospel accounts did not just come out of nowhere. 
They were gathered from people who saw the Son of God. They saw Jesus with their own eyes. In fact, Luke, one of the writers of one of the Gospels, do you remember which one that was? The one called Luke. He starts his Gospel by saying that he has investigated the claims of those who saw Jesus for themselves. And he uses a word that is only used one time in the Bible. And that word is autoptas. Autoptas. Optus. Eyewitness. Luke was searching for eyewitnesses. People who had seen the Lord. And he took that account. Now, it's very likely that the other gospel writers did the exact same thing. In fact, some of them had their own eyewitness testimony. So let's talk about eyes and sight. One of God's great gifts. Think about the things that you can see and that bring you delight and joy. At Christmas time, there are so many things. There's the faces of loved ones. There are the Christmas cards that may come in the mail or maybe through an email. You get to see photographs. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that, that just how much... Think about what Christmas cards looked like, say, 50 years ago and what they look like now. They're just... They're just bursting with photographs and, and, and you get to see, like, has time flown that much? When you see pictures of families and you see uh, people for whom you maybe last saw them with your own eyes when they were, say, this tall, and now they're six feet tall. Think about Christmas. Think about the lights. Think about trees. Think about, think about all the joys and the beauty of God's creation. Think about what you can imagine seeing. Think about how you imagine things when you pray for someone in need. How you can imagine someone being healed as you ask God to, to help them and bring his power to their lives. How you can actually imagine someone with, with a smile on their face or, or just that sense that the burden has been lifted, and they're free. Even with the gift of sight, though, as human beings living in this limited experience of humanity, we need help seeing, don't we? Don't I? As you can see, I'm wearing eyeglasses. I need help seeing. I remember a day when people would say things like that and say, yeah, that's interesting. I understand that's a thing because I didn't at the time need help seeing. Eyeglasses help us to see. Contact lenses help us to see. Increasingly, surgeries help us to see. We've recently, in the past uh, few months, prayed for a member of our congregation who had a detached retina, and we, we prayed through surgeries, and just it, it, remarkable, and also a very challenging time. But we rejoice, knowing that those surgeries have restored sight. We rejoice in that. We can't see everything clearly. 
We need these things called binoculars. Anyone have binoculars in their household? These binoculars help us see things far away up close. Now, there are things called telescopes. Does anyone have a telescope in their home? Telescopes allow you to see things that are very, very far away up close. Planets, stars. There are microscopes. Do you remember what that does? It allows you to see small things, very small things, up close. And then there are photographs and video recordings that allow our eyes to see moments that we weren't actually even there to see. Moments captured to see later. So our eyes can see so much and take in so much more. What a gift our eyes are. Let's thank God for that gift. Let's live with that gift each day, thanking God for that gift, remembering all those who need help, who struggle, those who may in fact not have that gift, who might be blind, remembering them in our prayers and encouraging them. I wonder what it would mean for some of us even to to dabble in Braille and learn about that. With our eyes, we see the whole world. Yes, we see the good news, but we also see the bad. But the good news gets the last word. Isaiah predicted this in chapter 52, the text that we read. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Later, he says, the people will burst into songs of joy together. Even the ruins of Jerusalem will rejoice, for the Lord has comforted his people. The Lord has redeemed Jerusalem. Good news. God reigns. In and through Jesus, we can see God reign in this world through Jesus' power and presence. And we see Jesus remarkably clear in his continuing work of God's kingdom, work that we ourselves are invited into to be eyewitness participants. We get to see it with our own eyes. Isaiah 52, 8, when the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. And verse 10, all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God's salvation will be seen. God's people will see it. Indeed, the whole world can see it. Peace, comfort, salvation, redemption. These words that are spotted through this text from Isaiah are the things that we will see in the land of the living. Redemption means to save someone and restore them from the consequences for something bad that has happened, maybe even their own fault. To be redeemed means to be brought back from that and restored fully. And this is what the writer of Hebrews means in verse 3 of chapter 1 when he speaks of Jesus after he provided purification for sins. The writer of Hebrews goes on throughout Hebrews and talks in depth about how Jesus actually accomplished this, purifying us of our sins. What in the world? 
when we truly understand ourselves to be sinners, when we know what that is, and when we know that we are a sinner, that's something that we might find unbelievable. That I could truly be redeemed from the consequences of what I've done. And yet, these words from Scripture give us the imagination to see that, yes, indeed, this is the power of God working through Jesus, redeemed, lives made brand new. Well, how can we see? We can see God's work with our own eyes. And I think one of the best ways to do this is to personally get involved in the mission of Jesus in the world today. Be there to see it. To see it with your own eyes. If you can't be there, fill your eyes with images, photographs. Fill your eyes with the written word of stories from the mission field. And so I want to encourage you with a, something to consider for your New Year's resolutions this year. To watch the good news at least as much as you watch the news. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, that the news that you see, and this really doesn't matter where you watch your news, across the board, that news is not reporting the full story of the good news in the world today. The good news of the gospel. The good news of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through people who are a part of Jesus' work in the world today and, and on into eternity. You know, there was a, um, a Christian author late 19th century, early 20th century, named Charles Sheldon. Uh, he actually was the one who, who coined the phrase and, and kind of wrote the book. He wrote a book called In His Steps, where the phrase, what would Jesus do, came into popular understanding. During this time, he actually spent some time as a newspaper publisher. His, his home base was Topeka, Kansas. And he did a, uh, an experiment. And for a week, he was in charge of the, the Topeka paper. This was the real paper. Now, I realize as I'm saying this that he, in a way, he was kind of acting like Elon Musk has been acting lately. But, but the comparison stops right there. What he did was because he was in charge of the paper, he was able to say, what we're going to do is we are going to have a week where we report the news in our paper as if the what would Jesus do was impacting the editing process. So the stuff that got on the front page was not the latest political controversy or the latest gossip of the community. It was the fact that at the time there was a famine in a particular part of the world and reporting on the various Christian groups and ministries and missionaries who were mobilizing churches that were gathering funds to get money to these people so that they might live. And why did they do that? Because Jesus did that. Because people saw Jesus feeding people with their own eyes. And so they asked, what would Jesus do? 
And so we can ask that as well. As we're watching the news, remember to ask this question. Where are people feeding the hungry? I want to see that. Jesus did that. I want to see that. If the news we're watching never reports on people feeding the hungry, you've just got a lot more looking at the good news that you need to do to balance out the news that you're watching. Because the good news is there. And being a part of a community of faith, a congregation, is, is how you can participate in the good news. That's one of the real blessings of being in the church, isn't it? That you can be a part of it. I want to lift up one thing that you're going to learn a little bit more about in the current coming up in January. I'm going to give a shout out. Mary, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, is Operation Nightwatch. One, one time a month, a group from North Creek goes and, and feeds the homeless of Seattle. That's pretty simple. And those who go are eyewitnesses of it. Not only eyewitnesses, they, they, they work with their hands and they, they, they prepare the food and they talk with people and they, they engage. And so we're going to encourage a group. We haven't set the number yet, but we're going to encourage a large number of us to make a commitment to participate in Operation Nightwatch at least one time next year so that we might expand the number of eyewitnesses so that we see that kind of news. And that's not just limited to Operation Nightwatch. It can be any ministry. It can be, at times, it could be ministries that aren't even particularly church-related, but they're doing work that is an expression of Jesus' work, feeding the hungry. I want to also lift up the power of mission reports. We sponsor a lot of missionaries here at North Creek and a lot of mission work. Just recently, I, I have just been renewed in my appreciation for what God is doing in the world by reading the communiques that come from the mission field. It might come from a, a, a young woman teaching in the Dominican Republic. It might come from Presbyterian Frontier Fellowship, where I learned about the large number of Afghan refugees in South Asia and the work that God's people are doing to minister to their needs. Mission reports. If you've ever watched YouTube videos, you know that there's a time when the person presenting the video says, be sure to like and subscribe. I encourage you to subscribe. And the reason why I do that, subscribe with missionaries. When someone comes and does a moment for mission, talk to that person after that moment for mission and say, how can I get your newsletter? Because some missionaries that we support actually have newsletters that say, do not post online. Because there's sensitive information there. Remember, the good news came into the bad news. There is still oppression. Jesus is working in those places. Subscribe. Another way that you can do this is if you're called to, say, be a deacon, someone who cares for people in need within the congregation and sees people in need with your own eyes and, and participates with Jesus in meeting the needs of those who suffer, say yes. Say yes. And then finally, there's Sunday school. Be there 
Be there to see the face of a child that lights up when they understand freshly with wonder how much God loves them. Be there. Be a servant of peace. Be a source of comfort. Be a sharer of salvation. Be an agent of redemption. And not only be one of those people, but open your life to these people. Because we need Jesus just as much as Jesus needs us as servants. How can we help others see? Well, Jesus works by calling disciples to do as he did. It's as simple as that. And it goes back to the incarnation. God came to be with us by entering into our human lives, spending time with us, seeing life from our perspective. And we can do that in others' lives. Enter their lives intentionally. Pray for them. Help them out. And be there through the good days and the bad days. The times when conversations are easy and times when conversations are hard. What we will discover is that Jesus is here. Jesus is there. Continuing the work of God in the world. Continuing to share the good news of peace and comfort and salvation. May we see it with our own eyes. And join those who join Jesus in his mission. So that all the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Amen.